0: Chapter 20 of With Clive in India This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman The Rescue of the White Captive After the cavalcade had passed, Hussain rose to his feet and followed them, allowing them to go some distance ahead. Presently he was joined by Charlie and Tim, and the three walked quietly along the road until within sight of the rajah's palace in front stood a great courtyard behind also surrounded by a high wall was the garden as this was always devoted to the zenana they had little doubt that the rooms of the ladies were on this side and two hours later they were delighted at seeing a small piece of white stuff thrust through one of the lattices the woman had been faithful to her trust Ada had received the letter. They then retired to a distance from the palace and at once set to work on the fabrication of a ladder. Husein, followed by Charlie, who better enacted the part than Tim, went into a village and purchased four long bamboo poles, saying he wanted them for the carrying of burdens. Charlie placed these on his shoulder and followed Husein. When they arrived at the grove, they set to work, having bought with them all the necessary materials. The bamboos were spliced together two and two, and while Charlie and Tim set to to bore holes in these, Hussein chopped down a young tree and, cutting it into lengths, prepared the rungs. It took them all that evening and a greater part of the next day before they had satisfactorily accomplished their work. They had then a ladder 30 feet long, the height which they judged the window to be above the terrace below. It was strong and at the same time light. They waited until darkness had completely fallen, and then, and then, taking their ladder, went round to the back of the garden. They mounted the wall and, sitting on the top, dragged the ladder after them and lowered it on the other side. It was of equal thickness the whole length and could therefore be used indifferently either way. They waited patiently until they saw the lights in the Zenana windows extinguished. Then they crept quietly up and placed the ladder under the window at which the signal had been shown and found that their calculations were correct and that it reached to a few inches below the sill. Half an hour later, the lattice above opened they heard a murmur of voices and then all was quiet again after a few minutes charlie climbed noiselessly up the ladder and just as he reached the top an arm was stretched out above him and a moment afterwards ada's face appeared i am here dear he said in a whisper lean out and i will take you the girl stretched out over the window charlie took her in his arms and lifted her lightly out then slowly descended the ladder no sooner did he touch the ground than they hurried away ada sobbing with excitement and pleasure on charlie's shoulder tim and hossein bearing the ladder hossein having already carried out his promise of concealing the second bracelet under the window In a few minutes they had safely surmounted the wall and hurried across the country with all speed before leaving the town. Hussein had purchased a cart with two bullocks and had hired a man who was recommended to him by one of his co-religionists there as one upon whose fidelity he could rely. This cart was awaiting them at a grove. Paying them the amount stipulated, Hussein took the ox goad and started the bullocks tim walking beside him while charlie and ada took their places in the cart. they were sure that a hot pursuit would be set up the rage of the nabob at the escape of charlie and his servant had been extreme and the whole country had been scoured by parties of horsemen and they were sure that the rajah would use every possible means to discover ada before he ventured to report to the nabob that the prisoner committed to his charge had escaped of course i can't see you very well ada said but i should not have known you in the least no i am got up like a peasant charlie answered we shall have to dress you so before morning we have got things here for you oh how delightful i was ader exclaimed when i got your note i found it so difficult to keep on looking sad and hopeless when i could have sung for joy i have been so miserable there seemed no hope and they said some day i should be sent to the nabob's zenana wretches how poor mamma will be grieving for me and papa ah captain maryan he is dead is he not yes my dear charlie said gently he was killed by my side that afternoon with his last breath he asked me to take care of you i thought so ada said crying quietly i did not think of it at the time everything was so strange so dreadful that i scarcely thought at all but afterwards on the way here when i turned it all over it seemed to me that it must be so he did not come to me all that afternoon he was not shut up with us in that dreadful place and everyone else was there. So it seemed to me that he must have been killed, but that you did not like to tell me. It was better for him, dear, than to have died in that terrible cell. Thank God your mamma is safe and some day you will join her again. We have news that the English are coming up to attack Calcutta. A party are already in the Hooghly and the nabob is going to start in a few days to his army there. I hope in a very short time you will be safe among your friends. After traveling for several hours, they stopped. Charlie gave Ada some native clothes and ornaments and told her to stain her face, arms, and legs, to put on the bangles and bracelets, and then to rejoin them. Half an hour later, Ada took her seat in the cart this time transformed into a Hindu girl, and the party again proceeded. They felt sure that Ader's flight would not be discovered until daybreak. It would be some little time before horsemen could be sent off in all directions in pursuit, and they could not be overtaken until between 11 and 12 the wagon was filled with grain on the top of which charlie and ada were seated when daylight came charlie alighted and walked by the cot unquestioned they passed through several villages at eleven o'clock hussein pointed to a large grove at some little distance from the road go in there he said and stay till nightfall do you then come out and follow me i shall go into the next village and remain there till after dark I shall then start and wait for you half a mile beyond the village. An hour after the wagon had disappeared from sight, the party in the grove saw ten or twelve horsemen galloping rapidly along the road. An hour passed, and the same party returned at an equal speed. They saw no more of them, and after it became dark, they continued their way, passed through the village, which was three miles ahead, and found Hussein waiting a short distance beyond. Ada climbed into the cart, and they again went forward. Did you put the Roger's men on the wrong track, Hossein? We guessed that you had done so when we saw them going back. Yes, Hussein said. I had unyoked the bullocks and had lain down in the caravansary when they arrived. They came in and their leader asked who I was I said that I was taking down a load of grain for the use of the army at Calcutta he asked where were the two men and the women who were with me I replied that I knew nothing of them I had overtaken them on the road and they had asked leave for the woman to ride in the cart they said they were going to visit their mother who was sick he asked If I was sure they were natives, and I counterfeited surprise, and said that certainly they were, for which lie Allah will I trust be merciful, since it was told to an enemy. I said that they had left me just when we had passed the last village, and had turned off by the road to the right, saying they had many miles to go. They talked together and decided that, as you were the only people who had been seen along the road, they must follow and find you, and so started at once. And I dare say, they are searching for you now, miles away. Their journey continued without any adventure until within a few miles of Calcutta. Hossein then advised them to take up their abode in a ruined mud hut at a distance from the road. He had brought at the last village a supply of provisions sufficient to last them for some days. I shall now, he said, go into the town, sell my grain, bullocks, and cart, and find out where the soldiers are. As soon as the news of the Nabobs advance against Calcutta reached Madras, Mr. Pigot, who was now governor there dispatched a force of two hundred and thirty men under the orders of major kilpatrick the party reached falter on the hooghly on the second of august and there heard of the capture of calcutta by detachments who came down from some of the company's minor posts the force was increased to nearly four hundred but sickness broke out among them and finding himself unable to advance against so powerful an army as that of the nabob major kilpatrick sent to madras for further assistance when the news reached that place clive had recently arrived with a strong force which was destined to operate against the french at hyderabad the news however of the catastrophe at calcutta at once altered the destination of the force And on the 16th of October, the expedition sailed for Calcutta. The force consisted of 250 men of the 39th foot, the 1st Regiment of the regular English Army, which had been sent out to India, 570 men of the Madras European force, 80 artillery men, and 1,200 sepoys. Of the 900 Europeans, only 600 arrived at that time at the mouth of the Hooghly, the largest ship, the Cumberland, with 300 men on board having grounded on the way. The remainder of the fleet consisted of three ships of war, five transports and a fireship. reached Falta between the 11th and 20th of December. Hussein, had returned from Calcutta with the news that the party commanded by Major Kilpatrick had been for some weeks at Falter, and the party at once set off towards that place, which was but 40 miles distance. Traveling by night and sleeping by day in the woods, they reached Falter without difficulty, and learning that the force was still on board ship, they took possession of a boat, moored by the banks a miles higher up, and rowed down. Great was their happiness, indeed, at finding themselves once more among friends. Here were assembled many of the ships which had been at Calcutta at the time it was taken, and to Ada's delight she learned that her mother was on board one of these." They were soon rowed there in a boat from the ship which they had first boarded, and Ada, on gaining the deck, saw her mother sitting among some other ladies, fugitives like herself. With a scream of joy, she rushed forward and, with a cry of "Mamma, mamma," threw herself into her mother's arms. It was a moment or two before Mrs. Haines could realize that this dark-skinned Hindu girl. Was her child, and then her joy equalled that of a daughter. It was some time before any coherent conversation could take place, and then Ada, running back to Charlie, drew him forward to her mother and presented him to her as her preserver, the Captain Marriott, who had stayed with them at Calcutta. Mrs. Haines's gratitude was extreme, and Charlie was soon surrounded and congratulated by the officers on board, to many of whom, belonging as they did to the Madras Army, he was well known. Foremost among them, and loudest in his expressions of delight, was his friend Peters. You know, Charlie, I suppose, he said presently, that you are a major now. No, indeed, Charlie said. How is that? When the directors at home received the report of Commodore James that the Fort of Zawarandrug had been captured entirely through you, they at once sent out your appointment as Major. You are lucky, old fellow. Here are you, a Major, while I'm a Lieutenant still. However, don't think I'm jealous, for I'm not a bit, and you thoroughly deserve all and more than you got. And this is Tim, Charlie said. He has shared all my adventures with me. Tim was standing disconsolately by the bulwark, shifting uneasily from foot to foot with the feeling of the extreme shortness of his garments stronger upon him than ever. Peters seized him heartily by the hand. I am glad to see you, Tim. Very glad. And so you've been with Major Mariette ever since? for the lord's sake mr peters tim said in an earnest whisper get me a pair of trousers i'm that ashamed of myself in the presence of the ladies that i'm (laughs) I'm likely to drop come along below tim come along charlie there are lots of poor fellows have gone down and uniforms are plentiful we will soon rig you out again there is one more introduction peters this is my man Hussein. He calls himself my servant. I call him my friend. He has saved my life twice and has been of inestimable service. Had it not been for him, I should still be in prison at Moor's Peters Peter said a few hearty words to Hussein, and then they went below. Returning on deck in half an hour, Charlie in the dress uniform of an officer, Tim and that of a private in the Madras infantry, Mrs. Haines and Ada had gone below where they could chat, unrestrained by the presence of others, and where an attempt could be made to restore Ada to her former appearance. Mrs. Haines had heard of her husband's death on the day after the capture of Calcutta. Mr. Holwell, having been permitted to send on board the ships, a list of those who had fallen. She had learned that Ada had survived the terrible night in the dungeon, and that she had been sent up country, a captive. She almost despaired of ever hearing of her again, but had resolved to wait and see the issue of the approaching campaign. Now that Ada was restored to her, she determined to leave for England in a vessel which was to sail in the course of a week, with a large number of fugitives. Mr. Haines was a very wealthy man and had intended retiring altogether in the course of a few months. She would, therefore, be in the enjoyment of an ample fortune in England. Among those on board the ships of the falter was Mr. Drake, who at once upon hearing of Charlie's arrival ordered him to be arrested. Major Kilpatrick, however, firmly refused to allow the order to be carried out, saying that, as Charlie was under his orders as an officer in the Madras Army, Mr. Drake had no control or authority over him. He could, however, upon Clive's arrival, lay the case before him. A week later, Mrs. Haynes and Ada sailed for England, the latter weeping bitterly at parting from Charlie, who promised them that when he came home to England on leave he would pay them a visit. He gave them his mother's address, and Mrs. Haines promised to call upon her as soon as she reached England and give her full news of him, adding that she hoped that his sisters, the youngest of whom was little older than Ada, would be great friends with her. Very slowly and wearily the time passed at Falter. The mists from the river were deadly, and of the 230 men whom Kilpatrick brought with him from Madras in July, only about 30 remained alive, and of these but 10 were fit for duty when Clive at last arrived. The fleet left Falter on the 27th of December and anchored off Molopare on the following day the fort of Bajbaj near this place was the first object of attack and it was arranged that while admiral watson should bombard with the fleet clive should attack it on the land side clive who now held the rank of lieutenant-colonel in the army had manifested great pleasure at again meeting the young officer who had served under him at Arcot, and who had, in his absence, obtained a fame scarcely inferior to his own by the defense of Ambur and the capture of Suwandrug A few hours after Clive's arrival, Mr. Drake had made a formal complaint of the assault which Charlie had committed, but after hearing from Charlie an account of the circumstances, Clive sent a contemptuous message to mr drake to the effect that charlie had only acted as he should himself have done under the same circumstances and that at the present time he should not think of depriving himself of the services of one gallant soldier even if he had maltreated a dozen civilians as clive had been given paramount authority in bengal and as mr drake had every reason to suppose that he himself would be recalled as soon as the circumstances attending the capture of Calcutta were known in England, he was unable to do anything further in the matter, and Charlie landed with Clive on the twenty eighth. The force consisted of two hundred and fifty Europeans and twelve hundred sepoys, who were forced to drag with them, having no draft animals, two field pieces and a wagon of ammunition the march was an exclusively fatiguing one the country was swampy in the extreme and intersected with watercourses and after a terrible fatiguing night march and fifteen hours of unintermittent labor they arrived at eight o'clock in the morning at the hollow bed of a lake now perfectly dry it lay some ten feet below the surrounding country and was bordered with jungle In the wet season, it was full of water. On the eastern and southern banks lay an abandoned village, and it was situated about a mile and a half from the fort of Bajabaj. Clive was ill and unable to see matters himself. Indeed, accustomed only to the feeble forces of southern India, who had never stood for a moment against him in battle, he had no thought of danger. Upon the other hand, the troops of the Nabob, who had had no experience whatever of the superior fighting power of the Europeans and who had effected so easy a conquest at Calcutta, flushed with victory, regarded their European foes with contempt and were preparing to annihilate them at a blow. Manik Chand the gov, the general commanding the Nabob's forces, informed by spies of the movements of the English troop, moved out with 1,500 horses and 2,000 foot. So worn out were the British upon their arrival at the dried bread of the lake that, after detaching a small body to occupy a village near the enemy's fort, from which alone danger was expected, While another took up the post in some jungles by the side of the main road, the rest threw themselves down to sleep. Some lay in the village, some in the shade of the bushes along the sides of the hollow. Their arms were all piled in a heap sixty yards from the eastern bank. The two field pieces stood deserted on the north side of the village. Not a single sentry was posted. Manak Chan, knowing that, after marching all night, they would be exhausted, now stole upon them and surrounded the tank on three sides. Happily, he did not perceive that the arms were piled at a distance of sixty yards from the nearest man. Had he done so, the English would have been helpless in his hands after waiting an hour. To be sure that the last of the English were sound asleep, he ordered a tremendous fire to be opened on the and village. Astounded at this sudden attack, the men sprang up from their deep sleep, and a rush was instantly made to their arms. Clive, ever coolest in danger, shouted to them to be steady, and his officers well seconded his attempts. Unfortunately, the artillerymen, in their sudden surprise, instead of rushing to their cannon, joined the rest of the troops as they ran back to their arms, and the guns at once fell into the hands of the enemy. These had now climbed the eastern bank, and a fire from all sides was poured upon the troops, huddled together in a mass major marriott clive said if we fall back now fatigued as the men are and shaken by this surprise we are lost do you take a wing of the sepoy battalion and clear the right bank i will advance with the main body directly on the village come on my lads charlie shouted in hindustani show them how the men of madras can fight the sepoys replied with a cheer advanced with a rush against the bank drove the defenders at once from the point where they charged and then swept round the tank towards the village which clyde had already attacked in front the loss of charlie's battalion was small but the main body exposed to the concentrated fire suffered more heavily They would not, however, be denied. Reaching the bank, they poured a volley into the village and charged with the bayonet just as Charlie's men dashed in at the side. The enemy fled from the village and, taking shelter in the jungles around, opened fire. The shouts of their officers could be heard urging them again and again to sally out and fall upon the British, but at this moment the party which had been sent forward along the road hearing the fray came hurrying up and poured their fire into the jungle. Surprised at this reinforcement the enemy paused as they were issuing from the wood and then fell back upon their cavalry. The British artillerymen ran out and seized the guns and opened with them upon the retiring infantry clive now formed up his troops in line and advanced against the enemy's cavalry behind which their infantry had massed for shelter manik shand ordered his cavalry to charge but just as he did so a cannon ball from one of clive's field pieces passed close to his head the sensation was so unpleasant that he at once changed his mind the order for retreat was given and the beaten army fell back in disorder to Calcutta. End of chapter 20